0: Well, good morning. Hey, good job on moving down front. Proud of you. That didn't hurt anybody's feelings, did it? All right. If it did, talk to me later. No, really don't talk to me later. (laughs) Um, We are doing, uh, participating in a one prayer series that's churches all over the world, literally all over the world are doing this. And, uh, and we wanted to participate in that with uh, churches around the world. And this is something, this is, uh, I think, our third uh, summer doing this. They've done this uh, every June for the last three years, and we've participated each year. And what it is is where <clears throat> churches gather together uh, to teach on the same subject. And so the hope is is that churches will be uniting and, and uh, trying to, uh, to move forward in the same direction Uh, as as a group instead of sometimes churches are off doing their own thing and and so last week you got to see a great uh, message from Craig Groeschel the pastor of Life Church Out in Oklahoma. The next two weeks you'll get to see some other pastors uh, on the screen here teach and I hope you'll be here for those and just to remind you this today is not being videotaped and going around the world all right. You know we had some confusion about that last year. This is just for the good folks right here in Greer, South Carolina so it's not for not for anyone else but but uh, this this year's theme is unstoppable. And, uh, and we're talking about different things, and uh, last week, um, all the guys last week and the next two weeks, they're, they're titling theirs like Unstoppable Blank, Unstoppable Love, Unstoppable Grace. I'm ch- changing this one, and I'm going to put the unstoppable at the end, and you'll know why in a minute when, uh, when I let you know what we're talking about. But before we start, put, a, put the picture I've got up there, Bill. Anybody know what that is? Yeah, Coyote, that's right. Um, I've lived in South Carolina all of my life except for three years when I lived in New Orleans. That's another planet, by the way, not just another city. And uh, when I was in seminary, my wife and I lived in New Orleans. And for the whole time I've lived in South Carolina, you know, growing up as a kid, and I'll be 41 uh, here pretty soon, and and as a kid, the only coyote I would ever seen in my life was Wiley Coyote. And there, there weren't coyotes in South Carolina when I was a child. At least, not that I knew about. When I was a kid, coyotes were the things that that howled at the moon in places like Texas and Wyoming, and and we just saw them on TV. Well, I don't know if you know it or not, but there is almost no part of America now where coyotes don't exist. They are everywhere. They and some of you know that, especially that you live, you know, a little bit in the country, and and you, you can hear them at night, and you've had animals disappear and things like that, and, and it's all thanks to these, uh, these these little guys right here, these coyotes, and, and in fact, they're even in big cities. I read a story online where in Chicago, a coyote came into a Quiznos in Chicago, and he ordered a meatball sub and one of those big hubcap cookies, No, but, but he didn't order anything, but seriously, in Chicago, Illinois, a coyote, they had the door propped open, and a coyote walked into the Quiznos. And, you know, people were freaking out and all that kind of stuff. So they're everywhere, big cities and, and uh, small rural, rural areas and all that kind of stuff. And the reason, one of the reasons, there's several reasons why coyotes are, are so big. Their, their population over the last 10 years has increased by 3,000% in the United States in the last 10 years. And one of the main reasons why, and it's real basic that that's happened, is coyotes are really good at making baby coyotes. That's why there are so many of them. Coyotes reproduce like crazy. They can have, they can from the time uh, uh, from the time of conception to the time the litter is born is 60 days and that litter can be anywhere from one to a dozen or more baby coyotes and they do this all the time. And so the reason there are coyotes everywhere is because they reproduce like crazy. Now the church in America is going the opposite direction of the coyote in America. The coyote has increased 3,000% in 10 years. The church in America is flatlining or declining. And in fact, the, the, you can look at all kind of statistics, and, and it doesn't matter which study you look at, and it doesn't matter who did the study, they're all pretty consistent that tells us that 50% of churches in America are declining, are dying. Now, one of the reasons, there, there are several reasons for that, but I believe one of the reasons why is that churches, unlike coyotes, aren't doing a very good job of reproducing. Churches need to be reproducing other churches, they need to be reproducing disciples, and they need to be reproducing leaders. And and most churches are not doing a very good job of that. And so Today, what I want us to talk about is that if the church reproduces, it will be unstoppable. Now you see why I didn't call it unstoppable reproduction, because that just would have sounded a little strange. So instead, we're talking about the fact that if the church reproduces, it will be unstoppable. Think about this for a minute. Now you know you live in Greenville County or Spartanburg County, and you know how many churches there are around here. There are churches everywhere, just about one on every corner. Imagine if every church in Greenville County and Spartanburg County were reproducing. If every church was reproducing itself, planning a new church, if it was reproducing leaders, if it was reproducing disciples, imagine what that would look like for this, these two counties. The church would be unstoppable. Now before I go much further, let me let me just let's get one thing out on the table so that we're all on the same page. When I use the term church, I'm talking about all of us. I'm not, talking about, uh, I'm not talking about a building, and I'm not even talking about an incorporated group. I'm talking about us as individuals. The Bible tells us that if we accept Christ and we become followers of Christ, we are part of His church. Now we are all, Freedom Fellowship is one small church out of a bunch of bigger churches, but we are all part of the big church of God, the kingdom of God church, that it goes in places like South Carolina and all throughout the United States to South America, to Africa, to Australia, to China, to all these different places. And so we are all part of the church of God. So when I talk today about reproducing, And I talk about reproducing disciples and leaders and reproducing other churches. I'm talking about all of us. Because one of the things that could happen today is you could listen to this message and you could end up saying, you know what, Cliff? You're right. The church should be reproducing. You and the staff get to work on that and let us know how it's going. And that's not not the way it's supposed to be. All of us are supposed to be reproducing ourselves. Let me, let me give you two scriptures uh, in, in, that, that, that really point this out. The first one is 2 Timothy two, 2. And, uh, and uh, this is the Apostle Paul wrote both of these books that I'm going to reference these scriptures out of. And Paul, we're going to talk about this in a minute, Paul went around starting churches all over the place and then he would write letters back to the pastors of those churches. And these are the instructions he was giving the pastors to give to the people. Look at 2 Timothy two. 2. It says this, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. And then Titus 2, 3 through 5, not only for men. It says this, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine. Evidently, they had some gossiping drunk women in this church. I don't know if any of y'all fall into that category, but I just... But to teach what is good, then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Now hold up just a second. Just forget that last part for a minute. Now, subject to their husbands, you and Jesus need to take that up with the Bible, all right, if that bothers you. But let's, we're not going to focus on that today. Let's focus on the part where it says the older women are supposed to teach the younger women what is good. And in Second Timothy, it said that you are supposed to take the words that I've given to you and now entrust them to reliable men who can then in turn teach other people. All of us have the responsibility to reproduce ourselves. You, you should be teaching someone else what you know, so then they can take what you've taught them, and they can then teach someone else. And it will go on, and it will go on, and it will go on. Women to women, men to men. Now let me just say the reason why that is, the the reason back then has not changed today. Now back then, men and women didn't associate that much, but it's still good today. If you're a man and you say, hey, I see this woman, I'm going to disciple her, that's bad news right there, okay? Unless you want to have an affair, that's bad news. And so, women to women, men to men. We should all be reproducing ourselves, teaching what we know. Now, and we're talking about Scripture, but even beyond Scripture. Take, for instance, if you're on the greeting team here at Freedom. If you're on the greeting team, you know what you ought to be doing? You ought to be greeting people, obviously, but you ought to be looking for someone else who's a part of this church who's not really serving anywhere. And you find them and you say, you know what? I bet they would be good at smiling at people and confiscating their coffee before they come into the auditorium. I can train them to be on the greeting team, right? And so if, you, so if you're on the greeting team, you're constantly looking for new people to train to be on the greeting team. Setup team, if you're on sound setup team or setup team for, for, for our nursery and children's areas. I need to find somebody else. I can train someone how to roll pods off the off the off the uh, the trailer and unload them and get things ready. Whatever job you're doing, we all ought to be reproducing ourselves, finding other people that we can teach to do what we do. Now, I understand that reproducing yourself is not easy. Sometimes it's much easier just to do it yourself. It really is. Sometimes it's, you know, I got to take somebody by the hand. Last night, I was making, um, there, there's a couple things that I can cook. One of them is Chef Bordy pizza, and uh, and the other one is toast. And so last night, um, we didn't want to eat toast, and Sherry was doing some other things, unpacking from the beach, and so I made a Chef Bordy pizza. And, and Grace, my nine-year-old, came in and wanted to help. My first reaction, we had Driving all day, getting back from the beach, unpacking, getting the car washed, you know, mowing the grass, all the things you do when you get back from the beach. My first reaction was to say, honey, I'll just do it myself, because it would have been much easier. But she wants to learn how to make a chef already pizza. And so I said, yeah, you can help me. And so we did, and she did a great job. We just had to pick up a little extra cheese off the floor. I spilled it myself, but she spilled a little bit more. And, and, but it would have been easier for me to do that myself. But here's the thing, not that it's a big deal, but now my daughter knows how to make a Chef Barty pizza. You, it might be easier for you to do everything yourself, but if you can train someone else to do it, then you'll be much better off. A, a few weeks ago, we, or several weeks ago now actually, me and, and, me and Chris... Uh, noticed there was an area of our church that we really weren't reproducing any new leaders. And I, I told him, I said... I said, dude, we're one stomach virus away from this whole thing shutting down because if we had like one or two people that knew what to do, if they end up with a stomach virus on Sunday morning, we're in big trouble. And so we immediately started, you know, trying to find new folks and we had great people helping us recruit new folks that we got to get some new people trained, learning what to do because we cannot be thinking that, that we're indispensable. We, being indispensable in church is not a good thing. You need to have somebody else train so that if you drop dead tomorrow, which I hope you don't, but if you drop dead tomorrow, someone else can pick up what you do here next Sunday morning and keep on saying, boy, it was so sad that that guy's dead, but now we're moving on without him, right? So that, that's what we got to do because none of us can be indispensable. Now, there's a great example of the church reproducing itself in the book of Acts. Now, I tell you this all the time, and, and I know I sound like a broken record, but I hope that that you understand how serious this is. I want you to be reading the Bible for yourself every day. If you are waiting to show up here on Sunday morning and hear what I've studied this week, and I'm telling you, you're spiritually undernourished. You need to be picking up the Word of God every single day opening up and reading it and if you want a good place to start the book of Acts is a great place to start it's it's the part of the Bible It's the fifth book of the New Testament right after the Gospels Matthew Mark Luke and John then there's Acts and the reason it's a great place to start is because it tells the story of the first church Jesus was on earth he had his disciples he left and when he left he gave them some instructions and then it tells the story of what these guys did after he left, and how the the church of Jesus began to multiply and to grow. And that's a great place for you to begin reading the Bible because it's got a lot of stories, it's interesting. So if you're not reading the Bible any, get you a Bible, pick it up in the morning, turn to Acts chapter 1 and start reading right there would be my suggestion to you. But if you do have your Bibles with you today, go ahead and turn to the book of Acts. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry, it's going to be on the screen. (laughs) But turn to Acts. We're going to start in Acts chapter 2 and then we're just going to move throughout the book of Acts, because it's a great example of the church reproducing itself and how it became unstoppable as a result of that reproduction that was going on. Acts chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 41 of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, 41. Now, I'll I'll kind of give you a little background of each passage and tell you what's going on, but this is the, the beginning of Acts. It was the day of Pentecost and all these Jews from all over the area had come together, people that spoke different languages and all that kind of stuff, and Peter stands up, Peter, Simon Peter, who was Jesus' right-hand man when Jesus was on earth, Peter stands up and he delivers a five-minute sermon, and this is what happened, Acts 2.41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, right off the bat... The New Testament church is reproducing itself by reproducing disciples. 3,000 in one day, reproducing disciples. Now, let me ask you a theological question, and I want you to answer out loud. It's okay if you haven't been to Bible college. You can think about this and answer this out loud. If God wanted to, if God wanted to, could he reproduce the church all by himself if he wanted to? Answer that out loud, yes or no. What do you think? Yes. You're exactly right. Now, how could he do that? He's God. He could do it however he wanted to. He created everything out of nothing, right? Then he created man out of a handful of dirt. If he's powerful enough to do that, obviously he's powerful enough to reproduce churches, disciples, and leaders, and not even use us at all. He could do that if he wanted to. Now, let me ask you what may be a little more difficult question for you to answer that I want you to think about. Does God want to reproduce the church by himself? He doesn't. And you say, well, how do you know that, Cliff? Because when you read Scripture, when you read the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, you see over and over and over again where God uses his people to reproduce his church. God's big enough to do it on his own. But he doesn't choose to do it that way. He chooses to let us have a part in his work. He chooses to let us have a part in disciples being reproduced, in leaders being reproduced, in churches being reproduced. And over and over again, what we're going to look at in the book of Acts is the same pattern, and this is the pattern that takes place. The prompting of God and the obedience of his followers work together to reproduce churches, disciples, and leaders. The prompting of God and the obedience of his followers work together to reproduce those things. What I mean is this. You're gonna, let's, let's just jump into Acts chapter 8 and you'll see what I'm talking about. Look at Acts chapter 8. Flip over if you're in chapter 2. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Now, Philip was, he was one of Jesus' disciples, and, and, uh, and after the persecution broke out against the church, and they kind of scattered all over the place, and Philip ended up in another area called Samaria. It's kind of like going over to the next county from where they were, and he's in Samaria, and look what happens in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Now what happens after Philip meets this guy is the guy's in a chariot and Philip jumps up in the chariot with him. They start talking about scripture. The guy had a scroll. He was reading some scripture. They start talking about it. Philip tells him, listen, what you're reading about is talking about my friend Jesus who had been here and he's just gone back to heaven. The guy accepted Christ at the spot, got baptized immediately. He didn't have to call. He didn't have to figure out if it fit with his tradition. He said, there's water. I want to be baptized. He was baptized immediately began to follow Jesus right from that moment but notice what notice the pattern of what happened there what did it begin with God said to Philip go down to this road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza and Philip obeyed and went you see what happened there is the prompting of God then followed by the obedience of Philip now there's a new disciple that's been created not only is there a new disciple that's been reproduced but now he's from another country and he is influential with the queen of that country and now he's going to take the gospel back to that country and so the church is beginning to go global it's beginning to be reproduced because of the prompting of God followed by the obedience of people look at Acts chapter 9 another story like that now you remember that there was a guy named Saul who was bad news he was going around killing Christians he was going around having Christians thrown in prison he was he was it was as bad a guy as there was for the Christian movement and what did God do to him? Jesus literally blinded him on a road. He was blinded by the light long before there was another song called that. And he was blinded and Jesus said to him, you're going to be mine. You're going to preach the gospel for me. You're going to take the gospel to the non-Jewish people, the people that we call the Gentiles. That's what you're going to do. And so now Paul's blind and he's hanging out in a house and he can't really do anything because he's blind. And look what happens in Acts chapter 9, verses 10-16. through 16. In Damascus... There was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. I love how, how specific God is here to him. He's like, hey, don't go to that other Judas. This is the guy you got to go to, the guy who lives on Straight Street. And I'm assuming Straight Street didn't have any curves in it, all right? And ask for a man from Tarsus named Paul, Saul. For he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. Go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now notice the pattern once again. God prompts Ananias, comes to him in a vision and says, go to find this guy named Paul. He's in this certain house on this certain street. Go there to him. And Ananias, even though he was scared of Saul, even though he said, man, God... I don't know about this. This seems like a bad deal. He still was obedient. So you have the prompting of God followed by the obedience of his servant Ananias and he goes there and then what happens? Paul becomes the greatest preacher of the gospel ever to live other than Jesus himself. And because of Paul, he, the church began to spread all over the known area. Now what if Ananias had said to God, I'm not going here. I'm, I'm afraid he's going to kill me. Or what if God hadn't prompted Ananias? Who knows what, what had happened? But the prompting of God, followed by the obedience of his people, helped the church to reproduce all over the place. Look at Acts chapter 10. Peter, once again we're back to Peter, who is Jesus' main guy. Peter's on a roof praying in the middle of the day. And a vision, he has a vision from God where God basically says to him, quit being a bigot. Because Peter didn't like people who weren't Jews. He wouldn't eat with them. He wouldn't associate with them. He didn't think they were worthy of receiving the gospel. And so Peter was a bigot. He was a racist. He was like some people you know who won't associate with someone of a different race or a different religion. And God comes to him and says, get off that and... and." The gospel's for everybody, all, things, all people are good, they're all my children, and you need to share the gospel with as many of them as you can. And so God spoke to him and said, quit being a bigot. Now, right after that, look what happens. Verse 19, Acts 10, 19 and 20. When Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So Peter goes downstairs and guess who's waiting for him? Do you think there were three Jewish guys? No. There were three Gentile guys. Pretty funny how God had just said, hey, quit being a bigot. Because I'm going to send three Gentile guys to your house, and you're supposed to go with them. So Peter goes downstairs. He goes with them to the house of a man named Cornelius, who was a Roman soldier. And when he gets to the house, Cornelius and his whole family accept Jesus. They're all baptized right there on the spot. And so now you have a Roman soldier, someone who's influential in the most powerful government in the world at that day. Now he's accepted Jesus, and the gospel is now beginning to penetrate into Rome. All because the prompting of God to Peter and the obedience of Peter, God's servant. The church is reproducing itself. And then one last one. The Apostle Paul, after he was blinded and his name was changed from Saul to Paul, he goes around and he's planting churches all over the place. He's reproducing leaders. He's reproducing churches. He's reproducing disciples. He's doing it all. He's doing exactly what God wants him to. And then Acts 16, verses 9 and 10. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia, standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Macedonia wasn't even on Paul's radar at that time. Paul was starting churches, but he, he didn't have a plan yet to go to Macedonia. But God knew the gospel needed to be in Macedonia, so what did he do? He prompts Paul through a vision, and then Paul is obedient to obey the prompting of God. And so what happens after that? Well, then Paul plants a church in Philippi, which happens to be the largest city in Macedonia. And then after that, that puts him on a whole new track where he's going to areas that he wasn't planning on going before. And churches begin to be planted in places like Thessalonica and Berea. Not Berea over in Greenville County, but Berea over there. And in Athens and in Ephesus and then Corinth and then all the way to Rome. The church was being reproduced Because God prompted Paul, and Paul was obedient. By the way, just so you'll know, that's why we give money and we work at planting churches in places like Spartanburg and Columbia and Brooklyn, New York, and uh, Botswana, South Africa. That's why we do that because in the book of Acts that's exactly what the church was doing. It didn't keep all its money right here. It didn't keep everything here at home. It was constantly sending people out and we're going to start a new church here. We're going to start a new church there. And we're all the time praying about where's the next place you want us to send some of our money to try to help start a new church. And we look for those opportunities. But it was the prompting of God and the obedience of the Apostle Paul. And over And over and over again in the book of Acts, we see where God used his faithful followers to reproduce churches, to reproduce disciples, and to reproduce leaders. And here's the amazing thing that you really need to hear. The prompting of God and the obedience of his followers, it took a movement of less than 100 people. When the book of Acts begins, There's one church, and it's less than 100 people. And by the time the book of Acts ends, there are churches all over the place, and there are literally thousands of believers. And you know how much time that took from the beginning of the book of Acts to the end of the book of Acts? Less than 30 years. Anywhere from 27 to 29 years. In that amount of time, Christianity went from being this fringe Religion out on the outskirts that they followed this crazy guy who the Romans killed and supposedly came back to life to now it was the fastest growing religion in the world and it's still here today all because of the prompting of God followed by the obedience of his people you see the church reproducing and reproducing quickly completely changed the world So what does this mean for us today? All of us should be reproducing. All of us should be reproducing we should constantly be looking for someone to share the gospel with so we can reproduce a disciple. If you're in leadership in some position, you need to be looking for someone else to share the good things about that leadership, to teach them what you know, so that when you're gone, it can continue. And then we as a church should be always looking for new places to plant new churches. We've got to be reproducing because really the the basic fact, and this is just simple biology, simple fact of life is, if you're not reproducing, you're just dying. If you're not reproducing, you're just dying. If you have a tomato plant in your yard and it's not putting out fruit and it's not going to put out fruit, all it's doing is it's just getting closer to the day that you're going to pluck it up and get rid of it. And we have co- we've got to be reproducing ourselves because if not, we're just taking up space until we leave this earth and go in the nursing home and then go on home to heaven. We're just taking up space. We've got to be reproducing. That's the design that God came up with. It's the design Jesus used. How many guys, Jesus came here, Jesus is all-powerful. He could have spent time with no one and just said, I'm going to just preach and try to do it." but what did he do? He reproduced himself into 12 guys. One of them turned his back on him. But there were 11 left, and those 11 were the ones that helped start the church in, the first church in Acts, and they were the ones that then spread the gospel all over the place. It's the biblical way to do it. Jesus did it. He reproduced himself into 11 guys, and he could have done it all along. You know, I was thinking about the first example I used of the coyote. And I told you there was more than one reason why the coyote is, is so, so big today. It's, the main reason is because it reproduces like crazy. But you know another reason is there are no natural predators for a coyote in South Carolina other than humans. The natural predator of a coyote was a wolf. And many, many years ago, wolves were eradicated from South Carolina. So there's nothing out there that can kill a coyote other than us. The church is exactly the same way. There's no predator that can stop the church. The Bible says over and over again that Satan wants to do all he can to stop the church, but he can't do it. The only thing that can stop the church is us being apathetic. The only thing that can stop the church is us ignoring the prompting of God. Now that doesn't mean the big church will stop. God will do it somewhere else with somebody else. But if we want to be a part, if Freedom Fellowship wants to be a part of the big thing God's doing, the only thing that can stop that is our apathy, is us saying, I just don't care, God. I know you're prompting me to tell that person about Jesus, but I'm just not going to do it. I know you're prompting me to reproduce myself and my leadership skills that I'm using in this area, but I'm just going to do it myself. That's the only thing that can stop it. There's no natural predator that can harm the church. God is more powerful than Satan. God is more powerful than any negative person. God's more powerful than anybody else that wants to try to tear down what he wants to do through his church. The only thing that can stop it is our apathy. So this is what I want us to do. I want us to pray. I want you to bow your heads in just a minute. Not right now, but in just a minute. And I want you just to think about yourself. Two things I want you to think about. One is, if you're a follower of Christ, I want you to think about how you can be reproducing yourself. Who, who can you tell? How can you take your skills of whatever you're serving here and you can begin to reproduce somebody else that can do what you do? What, what role does God want you to play in that? How has he been prompting you that he wants you to think about that? That's one thing as a follower of Christ. The other thing I want you to think about is this. Do you have anything to reproduce? If you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't have anything to reproduce that's worth anybody else having. We sang an old hymn that's been set to a new style tune right before I stood up here, called It Is Well With My Soul. And my favorite verse of that hymn says that my sin not in part but the whole has been nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. If you have never giving your life to jesus you're bearing your own sin and when this world comes to an end and you're going to meet jesus one day you're either going to meet him on earth when he comes back or you're going to die before he comes back and you're going to meet him in heaven and if you're bearing your own sin when you show up in front of god you're not going to enter heaven you're going to go to hell that's what the scripture says it might be offensive but that's what the scripture teaches The only way that you can enter heaven is if you show up and you're not carrying your sin, but Jesus is standing there beside you and he's got your sin on his back. Because when he was nailed to the cross, he died for your sin, just like he died for my sin. And you can give your life over to him. So this is what I want us to do. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray the first prayer for those of you here today that, that don't know Jesus, the ones of you that are still toting your own sin on your back. And I'm going to pray a prayer, and you can pray it after me if you want to accept Jesus. And then I'm going to pray a second prayer for the rest of you that are followers of Jesus, that God will prompt you to reproduce yourself and that you'll listen to that prompting. Let's pray. Father God, I know that I'm a sinner, I know that I need to be forgiven of that sin. And I know that you died for my sin on the cross. And I ask you to take my life, to take my sin, to clean me up, and to make me your child. I can't do it myself. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Now let me pray a prayer for the followers of Jesus who are here today. Father God, all of the folks that are here, including myself, that are your followers, we have a responsibility to reproduce ourselves. We have a responsibility to share the gospel with people that don't know it. We have a responsibility to reproduce leaders. We have a responsibility to reproduce churches. Help us to know what our role is in that. Help me to know what my role is in that. Prompt each one of us, Lord, to take specific steps of how we can be reproducing ourselves because if the church will begin to reproduce itself, it will be the unstoppable force on this earth that you intend for it to be. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.